Well, good evening. If you would, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It's been almost a month since we last look at the, looked at the book of Habakkuk. I mean, some of us may have forgotten where it was. If we were, ever knew where it was. In one of those little books in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, got Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and then you come to the little book of Habakkuk. This evening we're going to be looking specifically at verses 12 through 17. But... I want for us to start back in verse 1. And if you know me by now, you should expect this to come around sometime. We're going to read through the entire book before we dig into our passage for this evening. But before we even do that, let's pause, ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this book of Habakkuk. Thank you for what it teaches us about you and about our need to depend on you. Even when life doesn't make sense, we ask that you would help us to understand this evening what it is that you would have for us from these verses. We ask it for your glory, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. And then beginning verse 5 is the Lord's response. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. And then beginning in verse 12, this is our passage for this evening. This is Habakkuk's second plea to the Lord. He says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one, we shall not die. O Lord, 
thou hast ordained them for judgment. And Almighty God, thou hast ordained them for correction. Excuse me, for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal, that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle, they catch them in their net, and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net, and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat, and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net, and not spare continually to slay the nations? Beginning in chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch, and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Here we have the Lord's next answer. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but that at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his! How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall, cut out of the wall, shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts, but the people shall labor in the very fire. And the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest the, thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts, which made them afraid because of men's blood. And for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein, what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image, and the teacher of lies that the, t that the maker of his work trusteth therein? 
to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then chapter 3, we've got, again, Habakkuk responding, this time in worship to the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers, the mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice, and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered, at the, at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. And then perhaps the most beautiful part of the book of Habakkuk, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fr fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. If you would, turn with me back to chapter 1, verse 12. Just to recap, we've got 
Habakkuk lamenting at the beginning of the book. He's lamenting the violence that he sees in the nation of Judah. And he's asking the Lord, how long are you going to permit this? How long are you going to allow this to continue? And the Lord responds, again in chapter 1, by saying that I am going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. They're going to come and destroy the nation of Judah. They're going to come and bring violence on that land. And in the text that we're looking at this evening, Habakkuk is responding to that. And he is asking, Lord, you're a righteous God. So how can you use an evil nation like the Babylonians to destroy a nation that is more righteous, the nation of Judah? How can you allow the wicked prosper? And that's a question that we can see, that we can ask in our society. Why does the Lord allow the wicked to prosper? But again, I want to remind you of the theme of this entire book, and that is that we must live by faith. As the final verses show us, even if we don't understand, even if it seems like everything is against us, talks about there not being the sheep in the stall, there not being the fruit on the vine, even if everything is against us, still we choose to trust. We choose to live by faith. We choose to rejoice in God, even when we don't understand. But here, verses 12 through 17, this is the big idea that I want for us to see. And that is, when God's righteousness and our reality seem to collide, we may appeal to His righteousness. When God's righteousness and our reality seem to collide, we may appeal to His Righteousness. And that is what we see Habakkuk doing here in these verses. And it is a good question to ask. Anytime we're looking at a narrative in Scripture, and that's what I would consider the book of Habakkuk because we got a conversation going back and forth between Habakkuk and the Lord. Anytime we're looking at a narrative, the question we always have to ask is, are these action something that we can pattern our lives after? Or is the Lord giving us a bad example that we should avoid patterning our lives after? And I think for this particular text, the answer is in chapter 2 and verse 1. Or part of the answer is in chapter 2 and verse 1. Habakkuk is waiting for the Lord's answer. I'll read the verse. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk seems like he might be expecting some kind of correction, some kind of reproof. He's like, I'm not sure if I've overstepped my bounds here. But I think what is even more significant is that the Lord never rebukes him. 
he answers, to an extent, he answers Habakkuk's questions. So let's jump in to our text. And I want for us this evening, very simply, to see two components of our appeal to God's righteousness. First we see that we may plead the righteous character of Yahweh. Now, I did use the term Yahweh, which is a Hebrew-derived term. And at the risk of being oversimplifying, we do understand that Habakkuk did not speak English. So when Habakkuk says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God? Most of you probably know, when you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, that is a reference to the personal name of our God, Yahweh, or some would say Jehovah. I chose to put the name Yahweh here to emphasize that we are appealing, we are pleading with a personal God. That is his name. And Habakkuk appeals to this personal God. But the first thing he says is, Art thou not from everlasting? He's appealing not only to a personal God, but to an eternal God. So we too, we may appeal to the ever-living, personal God. Continuing on in verse 12, he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? Just to emphasize here, I mentioned that his name, this is his personal name, but he also, when Habakkuk prays, uses the word my, uses the word mine. He's my God, is mine, holy one. This was a personal relationship that Habakkuk had with his God. And that is the foundation from which we can come to the Lord in prayer, in appeal to his righteousness. We too must have that relationship with the Lord. And it's easy for us to say that back when I was five and a half, and this is when it happened for me, back when I was five and a half, I trusted in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I have a relationship with with him. He's my God because of that. And that is true. But I wonder, do we have that personal, intimate relationship with him right now? Do we delight? Do we long to be with him? Do we want to spend time in prayer? Do we want to spend time reading God's word? Do we have that personal, intimate relationship with the Lord? That is what it seems that Habakkuk had. So Habakkuk appeals to the ever-living personal God. But then let's see what it is that he appeals to. He appeals to to the justice of this God. He says, we shall not die. 
O Lord, Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, Thou hast ordained them for correction. Now, where is Habakkuk getting this? Is he just saying out of the blue, Lord, you've condemned those people. Those people deserve your justice. My guess that Habakkuk was well versed in Scripture. He understood who his God is. And he understood that God is righteous. God is holy. And let me just pause for a second and define those terms. When I say that God is righteous, I mean that God fully aligns with his standard of what is right and does not align with his standard of what is wrong. And it's the same for us. For us to be righteous, we must measure up to his standard of what is righteous, what is right. Holiness. Holiness is the idea that we are set apart. So when, when we say that God is holy, it says here that God is mine, holy one. The idea is God is set apart from us specifically in the fact that he cannot tolerate sin. And we're going to see that in verse 13. In fact, let's read it right now. Verse 13, first half of the verse. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. This is God's holiness. God cannot even look on sin. He is so set apart from sin that it is against his nature to even set his eyes on that sin. And that's going to be significant for what we see Habakkuk saying next in verse 13. But before we get there, I just want to emphasize that Habakkuk is appealing to who he knows his God is. This is not a prayer of doubt. Habakkuk understands that his God is righteous. His God is just. His God is holy. And he understands that. He believes that. But then we come to the second component of our appeal. First component is we may plead the righteous character of Yahweh. Second point. Second component, that we may question the rightness of the reality in our world. Read, look with me at verses 13 through 17. Thou art of pure eyes then to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Let me pause right there. Habakkuk is saying, he's making this analogy. The men are like fish. And the Babylonians are the fishermen. And the Babylonians are just coming and they're taking all these fish. And the fish are 
helpless. Fishermen are just taking them all out. They're eating them up, and they're gone. That, that seems to be the concept, he says. Verse 15, they take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net, gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Verse 16, therefore, they sacrifice unto their net. So in the analogy, it's like the fishermen. This net has caught these fish that I'm able to eat off of. I'm going to worship the net because it's provided it for me. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their net, burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? So Habakkuk is asking, how can you allow this to go on, that these Babylonians seem unhindered in destroying nations? And he's specifically thinking of the nation of Judah. But really, all nations. How, how can the Babylonians prosper like this? They are a wicked nation. But again, I want to come back to verse 13. He says, The Lord is a pure eyes unto behold evil, canst not look on iniquity. And then he says, Wherefore, or why, you look on them that deal treacherously. He says, You can't look on evil. Why are you standing there watching the Babylonians defeat us? Why, why are you just standing by idly watching the Babylonians wreak violence in this world? And we're not going to look this evening at chapter 2, but I'll give you a sneak preview. And that is, the Lord tells Habakkuk he is going to judge the Babylonians. And of course, looking at it from our perspective, we know that there's no Babylonian empire today. The Lord has judged them. But I think there's application for us today. We can look at what's going on in our world. We can look at what's going on in our country. We can look at what's going on in our personal lives. And we can say, we know that you are righteous, Lord. We know that you do everything right. That you are always good. That you are always loving. But I have this going on in my life. I have this going on in my country. And they don't seem to match. And I think Habakkuk gives us a good example of what we're to do in those kind of situations. We are to recognize that we don't understand. But we are to come to the one who does understand. We can plead the righteous character of our Lord. We can appeal to His righteousness. When God's righteousness and our reality seem to collide, we may appeal to His righteousness. Now I want you to think about what Habakkuk is not doing. Now, I realize that this is recorded for us, but what we don't see Habakkuk doing is we don't see him going out and complaining to all his friends about how he doesn't understand why the Babylonians are getting away with this. 
He's taking his complaint to the Lord. And I think that's important. Now you might be thinking, well, but I can't take my complaint to the Lord. That, well, he might not be happy that I'm complaining to to him. Can I just suggest something? If your complaint isn't good enough for the Lord, maybe it's not good enough to be shared. If you're not, if it's not such a big issue that you are wrestling with God's character versus your reality, and and it's just something that you don't like, well, maybe it's not worth complaining about. But I believe that when those things do collide, when God's righteousness and our reality do seem to collide, that we have an example here of what we can do. We may appeal to God's righteousness. So again, I want to remind you, this is all a part of living by faith. Even though we won't always understand, we choose to live by faith. We choose to believe that God truly is righteous. We appeal to that. And we live by